Hi, and welcome to the Slush Podcast. As you probably know, Slush is the world's leading startup event. You're about to hear an interview conducted at Slush 2017 on the Founder Studio stage, where the biggest names in tech sit down for an intimate Q&A. Holger Syme co-founded Blinkist, an app that helps people read more. Kalle Freese talked with him about inspiring people to never stop learning. I think just to start off with, how did you how did you get into tech? I had my first entrepreneurial experience in university. I, I was studying um, and um, with with two friends, and we we started our own business back then, a, a student consultancy. We wanted to apply our um, kind of the things we learned in university, we wanted to apply it in real world and try to get uh, companies to do projects with companies and kind of sell students as consultants. And um, we had that idea, started it, and it really took off really quickly. We gathered a lot of people um, together, got projects, and really, yeah, we're, we're making some revenue. And then that, that, that kind of, there was a time when we realized it's actually not that hard to start your own company. It's just like, you have, just have to get started and do things and get people excited about it. And Yeah, ever since we wanted to to recreate that on a bigger scale, and then would constantly meet and think about problems that that, that should should be solved, and yeah, eventually we we came to the problem uh, of um, not being able to read all the books that you want to read. That's that's how we got into it. Yeah. Right, and and when when was this? That was in 2000, end of 2011, beginning of 2012 was when we had the idea behind Blinkist. The first working title was Waitmate because we thought of um, Kind of a mate that gives you something smart to learn during waiting times. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's how it all started, uh, January 2012. Right. And on stage, you were talking about falling in love with the problems, not necessarily the solutions. So, was it obvious to you that it would be an app? Well, like, did you have other ideas of of how to solve that same problem? Back then, um, as I said on stage, we wanted to like we only had an app in mind because apps were really big. But I mean, they're still big, but that, that was kind of the year when the ecosystem started to explode and go through the roof. And where in Berlin there were all these hyped startups, like Gitsi, Amen, Wunderlist, um, and then yeah, as a young entrepreneur, you think like, oh, I also want to be such a hyped startup. Um, so we have to build an app. So we kind of defaulted early on of um, solving the problem through an app because. Um, the insight we had was people want to read more, and actually they read more on smartphones. So we just need to find a format that uh, that works on smartphones, um, and then kind of yeah, defaulted to apps. But in hindsight, it could have been an email newsletter because you can also read your email on a smartphone. Right. And if you were starting up now, would you would you consider um, other solutions in a more broader sense? Um, If I was would start up now, I would probably be much more focused on um, voice-first platforms. So I would look into Alexa um, and to Google Home and think, yeah, how can we translate um, or how can we solve that problem to through those platforms? What we actually we're actually doing that with Blinkist now, but yeah, that 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 would be a platform to I would look into right now. And during the talk, you were also talking about balancing the long-term uh, product work and features as as well as the uh, short-term business goals like user acquisition. Yeah. So what are some of the questions you ask yourself as a CEO trying to find that balance? Yeah. So as, as long as you don't have a path to profitability, as long as you can foresee that you will probably need another round of funding, 
um, what we learned the hard way because we didn't uh, ask those questions in the first uh, before the first two funding rounds. But you always want to ask, what is the story that I have to tell that next investor? What 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 do what do they want to want to see from me to say? Okay, I'm going to invest in a Series A or in a Series B. So. And I know it's usually, uh, it sounds much nicer to say, focus on your customers, and, um, but sometimes you really have to think, what do customers want to see? Uh, what do investors want to see? Because usually it aligns with what, what you also need to uh, do to build a sustainable business. It's not just because they want to see it, but there's a reason why they want to see certain things. And while you've been building Blinkist, what's been something that, that has su surprised you the most? Like that it's really, hard to um, predict uh, renewal rates. Sometimes you, you think, okay, the more people, the more people are engaged, the more they are engaged, the more they read, the likelier it is to, to, that they will renew. And that correlation is really hard to prove, actually. So there's a lot of, there's people who read a lot, but then they churn for whatever reason, maybe because it was too expensive. And there's other people who don't read a lot, but they renew and then think, oh, I renewed, I should start reading again. So it's really counterintuitive. And have you discovered different use cases for the product? Are people using it differently than you thought? Yeah. We thought um, that people would use it um, primarily to discover new books, kind of to read, to get smarter on the go and get some food for thought um, from a really broad set of topics and then make an educated decision where to dig deeper and where to buy the book and read the full book, um, which is um, definitely the core use case. But then we also found that a lot of people use it to retain what they've read in a book. So they would read the full book before reading the Blinks on Blinkist, and then just two months later, would catch up on the, on the book on Blinkist to kind of um, retain what, what they've learned. If you weren't working on Blinkist right now, what do you think you'd be doing? I think I, um, I, I'm really excited about these voice platforms, because I think that's a new ecosystem that is just getting started, like, like um, the app stores um, a couple of years ago. And I would be doing something in that ecosystem, because I believe it's um, getting really big, I believe. If you, have you seen the movie Her? I think we'll be there at some point um, that we have really these really natural conversational interfaces. And yeah, that's a great um, blue ocean for, for solutions um, to build. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that would be something I would be doing. I would have so many more questions, but I think we're starting to take some audience questions here because we have uh, so many. So first off, how did you decide on the restriction of one free book a day for the, for the free version? Yeah. It's, um, well, one lesson I shared on stage was to continuously test your pricing. And I also consider that what you offer for free and where you, where you kind of um, show the paywall, that's part of the pricing strategy. So we just tested a lot. We, we, had, we tested um, whether um, we can do a one-day free trial, a three-day free trial, seven-day free trial. We tested... Um, whether we should give people one book per day, or I think we at some point also had the first, you could get the first 10 books for free, so at different models, and we found that this is the current optimum. It's probably, there's a better solution, so we, we continue to test, but that worked quite well because it gave people something to, to start with, to play with, and also sometimes you're not ready yet to purchase, but it gives you a reason to come back, to check out uh, the new book of the day and, and then eventually um, convert to become a member. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of, um, th those were basically the reasons. And, and the next question is, how did you, how did you get your first 1,000 paid users? Mm -hmm. How did you find them? Yeah, so we, uh, actually, I have to think back, it 
probably took us two years to get the first 1,000 customers. The first two years have been really, really flat. We had a lot of, yeah, we had to just learn everything from scratch because it was our first really real company. We had to learn how to build an app, how to build a company, how to do marketing. So it took us really long to get there. Um, and we started, we tried to rely on PR. We tried to get out in the startup press. Um, we had an investor back then, Deutsche Telekom backed us, they had an, uh, um, an incubator, and we were their first startup. So we could piggyback on that story a little bit. Um, and that got us enough attention to eventually yeah, get to those first um, 1,000 paying customers. But by that time, um, we realized that since we monetize, so since we get money from customers pretty early on, um, we have money to spend on marketing and, and started to develop a really well-oiled marketing machine. So nowadays we scale, um, so we got to the, um, from 1,000 to 200,000 through paid marketing. We do a lot on Facebook, Instagram, and we do paid content. Um, so when you read an article on the web and um, then there are recommended other articles below that article because that's where digital readers are, so, so that, that's where we show our ads. And was there any like one larger thing that, that just like clicked and then you started getting more users? Uh, or was it just sort of a slow grind of incremental improvements? It, it was a really slow growth. We, we had some article, I think we, as any startup, we, we tried hard to get a TechCrunch article at some point and then we had that and it um, um, brought in some new signups and then eventually we were featured by Apple. That was a big day and that also brought in some installs. So there were some events that got us you know, some a couple of hundred or thousand signups, and then also customers um, converting from these signups. But yeah, there was nothing that really changed the trajectory. I think the the what changed the, the tra trajectory of that company when we really was when we figured out um, what is our pricing, how do we get people to convert, what is the right trial model. When we had that funnel um, straight, and then there uh, we're bold enough to then invest in marketing and say now we pay to acquire signups and we trust that they will convert in, into customers and then building the tracking behind that um, and then constantly improving that. that. That's what really got us off the ground after two years. And, and how did you do that learning? Did you just look at the uh, data? Did you do calls with customers? Um, how did you do the learning process? And would you do something differently now? We read a lot of books, of course. No, um, but um, we frequently talk to customers. I was doing customer support myself for the first two years. Um, because um, yet, yeah, because there you really get the problems they have. You really get in touch um, and and learn what you should be focusing on. And then I try to make a habit to to meet other founders really frequently. Not in um, I mean also on events like 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 Slash, but I also try to then just meet them for dinner where you can have a longer, more intimate conversation and really also share uh, the fuck ups and really be honest about how things work. And um, yeah, we so we learned a lot from other founders in Berlin. Right. And so, at least in the U.S. where I've been based, it feels like you could get almost anything as a subscription right now. So, uh, another question here is that how do you see the subscription economy changing in the, in the coming years? Yeah. I think it will, be, it will grow much bigger. I showed that graph on the stage and I think it's just getting started. There's, people get more and more used to, to pay for subscription services and it's growing really strong in the U.S. Germany is way behind. In Germany, we see it's much harder to get people to to convert to subscription. So there's still a lot of markets that are not as developed um, as uh, SUS in terms of um, being willing to pay for subscription. So I think more and more services, especially consumer services, will, um, will try to, um, to switch to a subscription model. Um, and 
uh, yeah, that's so. I think it's a good good time to um, uh, to think about whether your business um, can monetize through the subscription model. It's nicer to uh, to plan um, revenues. It's nicer to um, it, it, yeah. It's much easier to build that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's much easier to uh, pitch investors because it's more predictable, and and all that subscription revenue is much more valuable. Yeah, um, and there's also a little hype right now around subscription because there's I think. Um, Headspace did a great job in the U.S. to get in investors excited about consumer subscription. Obviously, Netflix and Spotify, they paved the way for, uh, for people to pay for digital content, obviously. So, yeah, it's a good, good time to be in a subscription business. So, uh, then I think the question we, we all have is, is what are the future plans for, for Blinkist? Yeah. How do you see the next couple of years ahead? We like, will always... Um, circle around the problem um, that people have a gap between what they would like to read and what they would like to learn and what they actually do to learn more. Because, yeah, you, you have um, people are lacking the time and people are distracted by services that may be more entertaining but less maybe valuable in terms of learning. So there's this huge gap between what you want and what you actually do for learning and we believe there's such a huge opportunity and doing what we do with Blinkist right now just scratches the surface. So we, we think we can yeah, grow the business much bigger in the next 10 years by keep staying focused on that problem and delivering um, great solutions. So that will, like we like to see Blinkist as a smart companion. Think of a smart teacher you liked in school who knew your strength, who knew your weaknesses, who knew what you wanted to, kind of knew where you wanted to go and could always recommend you, kind of give you a little nudge, hey, you should read this or you should meet that person to, uh, to be inspired. And we want to be that, that smart companion uh, that, that kind of makes it easier for you to take the first step in, into learning. And that's right now the beachhead um, we secured is doing that with books and blinks. But there are many other formats um, to, um, to we can think of. We just released an Alexa skill so you can listen to the Blinkist Minute, like a one-minute insight um, on Alexa every day. Um, and we continue uh, to, to do stuff like that. And... Anna is asking, how do you work with uh, publishers and, and authors, if you do? And, and then I'm also curious here, how do you produce the books? Do you have people in your payroll or do you outsource it? So we, we do have an internal editing team and then a lot of freelancers. Think like PhDs, coaches, consultants, people who read a lot by profession and who are knowledgeable about a topic. Um, we teach them how to read the books our ways, how to take the, the right notes and... Um, how to write the blinks in the end. We have an, um, a really smart internal editing team of, of eight people um, who, who find the right people to read the books, who continue to develop the format, to pick the right books, who also hold the publisher relations and, and the author relations. And yeah, that, that, that's how it works, kind of. It's a, in the end, um, yeah, really streamlined editing process, if you will. And um, the second part of your question, um, relation to publishers and authors, it's... It's a really slow industry. We um, we would like we, we don't infringe copyright, so technically we don't need to work with publishers because it's our it's just a review legally speaking speaking. But obviously, we're we want to spark interest for books. We want make people to fit more reading into their day and also read the books that are relevant for them. Um, so we kind of want to work together with the publishers and with the authors. And authors are really happy to work with us. We get a lot of them um, to join us on our podcast um, because they ultimately. They want to build their brand. They are um, happy to have a, a new channel to, to build their audience. Publishers, there are some really progressive publishers that work with us um, and really appreciate what we're doing. 
And then there are a lot of publishers that are neutral, that are kind of on the sidelines and think like, does it cannibalize uh, books or does it sell more books? Um, and they, they, they're watching. And I, I, find, I think it's the innovator's dilemma happening in slow motion um, because they ultimately, they shouldn't ask the question whether, whether we're cannibalizing books or selling books. They should just, you know, if they believe we're cannibalizing books, they should uh, be working with us or with someone else on innovating books. Because then obviously, if, if that's their belief, and I don't share that belief, but if that's their belief, they should, yeah, get, get started to work on something new and don't just continue to publish book after book without believing that people will purchase it if there's an app like Blinkist that gives you 50-minute key insights. Right. So what I've been dying to hear all the time is you work with books. What, what are your, I guess, top three favorite books that you've recommended or gifted the most? I really love um, the Richard Branson autobiography, or now it's two actually. Um, so, so Losing My Virginity is a really cool book for every entrepreneur to read uh, because it really yeah, inspires you to just think bolder and also has some, some really practical, practical business advice. And it's just a great story. Um, so I gifted that book uh, a couple of times. I really like The Coaching Habit, which is about how to, how to coach people instead of just telling them what to do, to, by coaching them by, by asking a lot of questions. That's really insightful. And I love Mindset um, from Carol Dweck, because it's about, um, it explains the concept of the fixed, grow, uh, fixed mindset and a growth mindset. When you have a fixed mindset, you always, you believe that you've been born with certain talents. Um, and so you're good at certain things and you're not good at other things. And um, so people who have a fixed mindset, or everyone has a fixed mindset in some, in some areas, and then you really don't push yourself to learn. And people with a growth mindset always um, kind of are eager to learn new things and believe that with practice you can learn anything. And I, that book inspired me a lot to kind of reflect on my own behavior and sometimes push me more out of the comfort zone. And so, for example, being on stage today, it's not, I'm not a natural uh, talent on that stage. Um, so I could say, ah, oh, well, I'm not good at it, so I'm not doing it, but I... I consciously push myself out there to, to become better and, and just, just learn. It's an amazing, amazing book. I can, I can wholeheartedly recommend that. Uh, do you have other, besides your own, other subscription services that, that you love? So I'm, I, I'm subscribed to Spotify, to Netflix, obviously, like probably most of us in the room here. Um, I admire Bubble. Um, Bubble is a language learning company out of Berlin. They've built a really, really big business with more than one million paying customers. And I occasionally use that to catch up with my Spanish. Um, so that's really nice. Um, and yeah, also like Headspace. I, I should, I should uh, be doing it more. I uh, don't find the time, but also really, really cool service. Too. So, so Headspace uh, is a, a meditation app. Oh, yeah, sorry, I, I should. Yeah. I've been a subscriber to for like yeah. four years as well. Yeah. And then also Audible um, is, is a good service, of course, too. For, for audiobooks, yeah. which I also recommend. So we actually have a question here. Um, why did you choose subscription model in the first place? Again, we, we tested it. We had, um, we had a model to, um, where you could just buy a book in Blinks for 179 with an in-app purchase, and we tested that versus um, a subscription, and we just found subscription worked much better for multiple reasons. When you have, like, with a subscription, you need to convince people once to purchase, and then they purchased, they made this decision to spend money, which always hurts a little bit, but then they can read as much as they want, and they start reading. When you always have this paywall again, when you always need to have these micropayments, it's really, um, yeah, people are more hold off to, to actually read more because they always think, should I pay for that now or not? So it's just psychologically much easier 
um, to get customers over the fence once rather than all over again. And also for customers, um, I mean, you could say now, well, then, um, this, then we kind of get customers once and then they don't read anymore. It's, but also for them, it's psychologically, it just feels better because then you know you can read as much as you want. So that was one reason. And another reason, it's really hard to yeah, just re-engage customers all the time if, uh, if the, um, the bucket they pay is in the end one, one euro or 179 because then you don't have money to spend to get, them, to get them to purchase again. So it's really hard to make it work on a unit economic basis with these really small, um, um, small amounts. So you run a ton of experiments and Jürgen is asking what kind of infrastructure do you have to support that, uh, that sort of testing frameworks and so on? Yeah. So we, we started initially with services, like with the uh, SaaS uh, services, and now build our own infrastructure. So we have a system that whenever you sign up, you would, um, and we run a test, and you would be attributed, hey, this user is in this test, and it's either a test user or a control user. And then depending on, um, depending on what you, yeah, what, um, in which group you are, you see a different experience. That may be a different experience within the app. It may be a different price. It may be um, a different email um, email flow you get. So we test everything, and we try to test prices not too much because it's sometimes unfair to show someone you know a higher price or a different price model than than someone else. But it's there is no other way to really learn because sometimes things are just yeah um, against anecdote. Sometimes it's just in, in unintuitively what you learn. So you really need to test it and don't just follow your gut feeling. And if you would be a 20-something student or a young entrepreneur attending Slush right now uh, who wants to start their own company one day, what would be your, your advice? Just get started. Like, don't, don't be afraid. Uh, the, the, it may seem like a big, big elephant um, that to start a company, but it's actually um, just um, a series of, really, of, of little steps that are doable, that are feasible to take. Um, so yeah, just don't be afraid. Get started and surround yourself with um, smart people. Ask a lot of questions, try to, um, yeah, try to meet a lot of people and, and don't, um, don't be shy to, to ask and learn from others. I mean, I've, I've benefited a lot from other founders in, in Berlin um, who were already uh, more mature by the time we started and also try to make uh, time now to meet with younger entrepreneurs to share some, some of the lessons that we learned. And I always found that very helpful, being in the re on the receiving end of, of advice from more experienced entrepreneurs. Yeah. So we were talking about learning mindset. What are some skills that you weren't great at and you sort of thought yourself um, to be, become good at running Blinkist? Yeah. I was never really into tech. I was never really into coding. I studied business administration, but eventually when I, um, I'm responsible for all things growth at Blinkist, so I'm still working a lot with the marketing teams and build it like was the first marketing guy basically in the company. Um, and then as we grew now, we have other smart people who are much better than me in this regard. But I learned a lot about that and I learned to be, because digital marketing is a lot about, uh, a lot about being data driven. So I learned how to um, how to build a data stack, how to write SQL and then get the insights from, from our data and, and, and do all of that. And it's something I never knew that yeah, I, I could do because it's really then, I mean, uh, engineers in the room would say that's, that's nothing, but for me it was already, it felt like coding, um, even if it's not. Um, so yeah, that's an example. So when you're reading and discovering books on Blinkist, do you, when you're kind of reading about a new topic, do you kind of browse around, uh, try different topics, or do you go like really deep into one 
area that you want to learn about? Usually, I like when I when I'm interested in something, ask people for recommendations. That's still, and I we were working hard. I want to to have the the experience of you ask a, a friend and he gives you a recommendation. We want to have that experience at Blinkist. I think when we when our discovery is that good, then we we nailed it. So we're, there's still way to go. But yeah, usually I start with just asking friends for good uh, book recommendations. Sometimes it's about a topic I, I I'm interested in because I want to learn it specifically sometimes just sometimes you just want to read something really interesting something like a, a Jared Diamond book who um, or, or Sapiens for example as a, a book that um, explains the history of mankind and why um, why on Easter Island there was a big culture and that collapsed at some point and how that happened and which is no knowledge that you would need to build a business but so interesting to to know that so yeah try to have some serendipity there and get a lot of different recommendations yeah for sure we would have time for one or two quick more questions if we have any, any in the audience. Did you originally, I, I, I use Blinkist and it's a wonderful service, so thank you for that. Uh, did you originally um, aim at uh, just going, uh, going out with text versions? Because I, I never actually read, I'm dyslexic, so I don't do that. But I really enjoy all the audio, They're very well produced. Was it in your original plan or was this something you discovered on the way? Yeah. Um, going into audio is something we discovered on the way. We started with text versions and um, always had a lot of respect for audio because we thought if we want to do audio, we need narrated version. We can't just use serial or text-to-speech. We always thought it would be really difficult and expensive to produce uh, audio versions on high quality. And then event um, eventually we've been to the Valley, I think it was in 2014, and everyone, really, literally everyone we pitched Blinkist to ask us, is it available as audio too? And yeah, then we thought if, if everyone in the valley asks us about it, there has to be something. And that was before podcasts had their renaissance and boomed, um, and probably there people already saw that. And we said it, there has to be something about audio, so let's really get into it. And then we found out that it's actually not that hard to produce high-quality um, narrated versions. You don't need a professional studios. There are a lot of, there's a lot of great talent, a lot of great narrators in Berlin. Um, and yeah, then, then got started. And it really changed the trajectory of uh, Blinkers. It got us, a lot, it opened up a completely new, new market for us. Uh, I don't know if it's a big secret, but how, uh, what's the percentage uh, between like people who actually read Blinkist or listen? Uh, it's almost 50 50, to be wow. honest. Like it's a lot of, um, and a lot of people swap. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they read. And I think it's similar to the split when you look at how people learn. Some people, I, for example, when I really want to learn deeply, I need to listen. Uh, sorry, I need to read. When I, when I listen, sometimes I get distracted. Um, and so when, I, when it's about deep learning, I read. When it's about more some entertainment, some, some food for thought, I, I rather listen. And there's a lot of people that do both, but also yeah, some that, that only do this or that. It's so final question. You, you said earlier that, that you're, an, you're an open book. So somebody asked, is there a, is there a Blinkist version of you? Um, no, unfortunately not. But uh, wondering what the key insights of that would be. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe in the future when you have a, a, a virtual reality avatar or so cool. on. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for Holger. Thank, thanks for everyone um, coming here. Thank you. Have a great yeah. afternoon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Slush Podcast. Find out more about Slush at slush.org. Please rate and review our podcast. And if you haven't yet done so, subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.